Welcome back to the Black Belt and Thinking podcast. I'm Peter. And I'm Mirta. All right, and today we're talking about recency bias. Welcome to the Black Belt and Thinking podcast. I'm Peter Cronin, lead presenter of the Black Belt and Thinking. This is a podcast where we look at all things to do with thinking faster and acting more purposefully. I interview experts in their field to try and provide you with the insights to the way they think and the tools and processes they use on a day-to-day basis. If you find value in this podcast, love for you to share it with others. So, Yetta, what's recency bias? Well, I've recently written an article about this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Recency bias is basically our tendency to place too much value on the most recent events or experiences we may have had in a nutshell. So this is not the same as the availability bias, which we covered a few episodes ago. Yeah, so. yeah, I see a few things. Uh, well, basically, yeah, literally saying they're, they're the same. Well, I was doing a bit of research into this, but they're not. <laughs> I think, uh, well, uh, I don't know the exact definition, but for me, the difference is availability bias is just about your brain can only make decisions or think about things based off information that it has at any point. Um, obviously, it can then be biased again by recent information, but that's not the key point of availability bias. Key point is that I would kind of say what, what you see is all there is. It's like um, you, you know, your brain your yeah. brain can only only knows what it knows. Um, but that can be things from your childhood. That can be things from five years ago, ten years ago, two years ago, whatever. Um, it's just the fact that it's limited by the information that it's had made available to it itself. I think actually where people, why people um, sort of conflate the two is if you think about the recency bias, obviously our memory has a big part to play in that. Yeah. So our most recent information is sort of more available to us maybe because it's stored in our short-term memory. Yeah. Like I remember, I'll remember things from this last week or this last year better than 10 years ago or stuff I might have learned at high school or something. But then also what it doesn't take into account is the emotional attachment that we might have to some memories. So I might have a a very clear memory of 20 years ago. That's nothing to do with my short-term memory or or the recency of the memory. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's where the, the distinction probably is most evident is availability bias is really our tendency to place too much value in the information that is probably easiest to recall from our memory. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As fair. well. Yeah. Yep. Because it's there for some reason and it's, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the most recent information. Yeah. Yeah. Cause as you say, those emotional things can uh, cause something to embed itself pretty strongly in your memory. And then you'll, you'll go, Oh no, we shouldn't do that. Well, cause people do that. Right. Sorry, we should get into recency bias in a minute. <laughs> it's common for people to say, oh, no, we shouldn't do that because, you know, if this, then that. But the, if this, then that is like one example from 20 years ago, but it meant like a major customer left them or something. So it's like very firmly yeah. rooted in their memory. It's kind of the opposite. And it's of very firmly bias. rooted in anecdotal evidence yes. as well, probably. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> recency bias. Um, I mean, the one that I always, that comes up fair, but when you look at it and the one that always sort of comes up for me as well, um, 
is performance reviews, right? It's like the, the classic thing that people talk about. If you do an annual performance review, the vast majority of the opinion of the reviewer is recent stuff. Like, you know, and you hear advice saying that people should, you know, or that people do put in a bunch of extra effort right before annual review season. Because uh, if, if, if there's no, like a lot of companies or, or managers or whatever, if they don't really keep very good records or track of what the goals are or how people are progressing them or they don't break them down or any of this sort of stuff and they're just relying on what their, their opinion of the person's performance has been, it's going to be heavily influenced by the last couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You've got a salesperson that closed a, bit, closed a big deal or you've got somebody else that, you know, really muck something up and, and piss you off, then it's not good mm-hmm. for them. No, no, absolutely. Um, I'm actually unrelated, but I'm actually doing, I'm recording a series of videos on behavior engineering. And one of the things is that I'm discussing right now is the, I guess the delivery of the reinforcers and the fixed reinforcers, which are your annual reviews, right? They cause these bursts of performance just before <laughs> they're due. Yeah. So, you know, you have a review in a year. You're unlikely to on month one say, "Oh, I must really work hard because I have a review in a year." If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Makes total sense. But a more personal example um, is that I actually had, and it was completely recency bias, um, and luckily I was in the process of actually um, writing this article and investigating what is recency bias. But yeah, we went to a restaurant with my parents, or I took them to a restaurant, and we had an unreasonably long wait, an uncharacteristically long wait for that restaurant, which is one of our favorite restaurants. And then when we actually came to, I I think a few weeks later, we were taking some friends out um, and we're discussing and I told my husband, oh, no, not that place. And he's like, what? That's our favorite restaurant. No, 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 because, you know, the wait is too long. And like, no, it's not that. What? No, no. Well, last time I went. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's a bit unreasonable to take such a drastic action as a, you know, I'm not going back there. Yeah. Seeing how I've went there so many times and loved it and everything was perfect. Yeah, right. No, that's a good example. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of funny because it just affects everything. I mean, I even, um, we've been, I won't get into too much detail about it, um, <laughs> to derail, but we've, <laughs> we've been looking after a sick puppy. Oh yes. <laughs> well, he's not so much sick. He's as not he is sick. Peter. <laughs> he's uh, um, a recovering puppy. His post surgery. Uh, yeah, post surgery. Getting getting his head at his stitches, and before anybody who's on this is like, oh, what you need is one of those cones, because that's what everybody says. Oh, you should oh, get him yeah. a cone. Like, oh of yes, course. no, we never considered that, and neither did the vet. Um, <laughs> That was the the vet can't actually couldn't actually believe that he could still get to his feet with like the biggest cone they had. They're like, oh, have you actually seen him do it? We're like, yeah. Like, how does he do it? And we're like, he's quite long 
He's got ridiculously long limbs, your puppy. So he just kind of pokes his feet up by his (laughs) nose around the cone and away he goes. They're like, what? (laughs) This is a bit, they couldn't believe it. Anyway, um, so we need to do night shifts to look after this dog um, uh, for the last couple of weeks, which has been just wonderful. But it's it's funny that it's actually only been a couple of weeks, but I... (laughs) We finally got to the point. His stitches are out and everything. He's got some. He's got some scabs that you know he needs to not lick off and everything. So we still got to keep a little bit of an eye on him. But he's not too bad now, and he can go back to sleeping um, normally. In his bed. And, and so can we. Yeah, in his bed. So can we. Um, which he was a bit outraged about. I think he quite enjoyed, uh, you know, sleeping on our laps on the couch each night. It was quite quite nice for him. Anyway. Um, it was so funny the first night that we went to do this only a couple of nights ago. I, I genuinely had this like, you know, moment of like, oh, is this real? Can I actually just sleep in my bed for the whole night? Of course I can. That's what I've done almost every night of my entire life. And you feel like this is going to go on forever. Yeah. You're like, is this, is this right? Like, am I going to get a full night's sleep? Like, what am I going to feel like after that? Like, it's only yeah. been two weeks. But that's, that's it, right? Your brain is so like attuned. I guess, I guess um, I have read things before. Saying one of the one of one of the big things about hu- humans is how adaptable they are. Mm. Like how, you know, you might not like something, but you actually get accustomed to it quite quickly. And I wonder if that's part of what drives the recency bias. Like it's sort of a hangover, or maybe a side effect of, of that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's my personal thing. Yeah. But um, going back to business things, um, I was trying to think of some some sort of examples. Um. And I think it's it's the same sort of thing. It's just obviously the 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 most recent and I think and strongest, like it's fair to say and strongest event um, still, but the most recent strong event, so to speak, stands out. So like, um, if, you know, you're going to like a meeting um, uh, with, with a development team or something about their product and you've just had absolute air bashing from a customer about it like half an hour ago, even though other than that, the product's been great, you, you know, like it's probably not going to be a fun meeting for that dev team. Yeah. Which is ridiculous because, you know, you might have been having great feedback. It might be the best selling product at the moment. It's all going really well, but one customer goes absolutely nuts at you. But, and that was like just today, then that meeting's just going to like, <laughs> it's not going to be fair at all. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely influences your perception of what's about to happen. Yeah. And makes you act um probably in probably in an unuseful <laughs> unuseful manner. <laughs> yeah. Cuz you're literally thinking recently I have had this happen and for some reason you decide that it's going to carry on happening. <laughs> Yeah. Recently, I had someone chew my ear off, and that's what I'm in for right now. Yeah. So I would say that emotional attachment to the event definitely plays a part because yeah. I I equate emotions anyway with um, your non-rational brain. So you make non-rational judgments on what will or will not happen based off of one or or two events that have happened recently yeah yeah which makes sense they stick out to you that's what your brain thinks of 
when it yeah. comes to yeah. Any other examples you want to cover, or do you want uh, me to tell I, you how I, to overcome I, the recent surprise? I sort of came up with a couple. They're all it's it's kind of hard. Like they're all along the same lines, you know. Like but they're all project... they're all based off of the most recent experience someone has had. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, surprisingly, but you know, like whether a project's going to proceed, like you're at a, you know, you're, there's a lot of projects have um, stop go points where they assess whether, you know, what you've done so far is worth continuing. You know, it's pretty common for for a large project to have those milestones kind of built in, um, and those those will be way too swayed by how the last week or so of that period has gone. Yeah, like if. If you've been on track for most of the last three months and you hit one of these milestones, but the last two weeks it's been going to crap or vice versa, you know, it's been absolute, frankly, shit bite of a project. We've all been in those. Yeah. Um, and then you just get like a, you know, a bit of, a bit of po like positive change at the last couple of weeks where things go a bit right and you go into that meeting and go, you know what's picking up? This is actually, this is actually a pretty good project. You know, we didn't think it was, but it is. Yeah. Or something. It's like, well, what? Like, maybe something fundamentally has changed, but in most of these cases, I'd say it hasn't. It's just happened to be a couple of decent weeks. And if you can't identify something that's uh, fundamentally changed, it's just happened to be a couple of good weeks. You should be assessing it over the last three months, not the last couple of weeks. I mean, this is, again, this is like the performance review. It's the performance review of a project rather than an individual. But yeah, it's the same sort of thing, right? We just... Yeah, we're so. <laughs> so we might, we might. So what would be some of the actions that we might do? Because um, it's well, one I, way I, to feel one way, but it's another way to then take action that's going to really mess things up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to say, oh, we'll get more data, but. Usually we might ask for, for a lot more budget. We might put a whole bunch more people on the project. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Do things that might actually end up slowing things down. Yep. In the long run. Exactly. I guess because we're overreacting. Yeah. To to an exception, I guess. Exactly to an exception, but that's the most recent exception. So. We're, as you say, overreacting, treating it with way more weight than it should have. I think another example, actually, of this is um, shares, stock. Oh, yeah. Everything I looked up, there's so much stuff about finance. Yeah. 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 Which you'd think a seasoned investor probably wouldn't be swayed with. But I, I bet a lot of people who invest these days are not seasoned investors. Oh, even the seasoned investors are swayed by this stuff. It's sort of like the recent, you know, big thing. I mean, um, um, Dad was heavily involved in this sort of stuff, right? So because he was like manager of a trust and, and the, the money the trust distributed came from their their investment portfolio, basically, and they distributed their, um, their gains from that, um, there was like an interest in him, um, I guess, managing that pretty decently. So he used to go to these conferences when I was a kid quite a lot. And it was interesting when he said, this would have been, he's been retired for a while now. I would say somewhere between 10 to 10 to 15 years ago, maybe 10 to right. 20 years ago, there, there was a big shift in, um, 
well, what he was saying about like rational investors, like everybody for so long made these assumptions that humans act rationally when they're looking at like objective things like shares. And yeah. the shift was they started to accept that they didn't. You know, the first thing right. was that some didn't, and they started to accept that they didn't. And if you look at the, like how the research has progressed, over the last 10 years, it's just being proved sort of unequivocally that even experts, even the top people are, <laughs> are susceptible to this. They can't yeah. help it. Um, I mean, I remember saying this would, be, this would be a number of years ago now, but it was something like over half of US fund managers underperform just the standard average of the like S&P 500 or something. Right. Like, so half of them are actually worse than if you just chucked your shares into a generic diversified wow. thing. Yeah. Probably because of all these biases that they can't help. Yeah. Yeah. I bet all these people who short stocks would really thrive on that. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's how you how you can perhaps make money is you are you're not you don't watch. Actually, I think I think I have seen some stuff like this. It's not so much watching the shares and trying to react to them; it's watching, you know, people. It's more of psychological. Yeah. It's almost like poker, right? Yeah, like you're not actually playing cards; you're playing the people. I think that's the same thing. It's like you're looking at what I don't know mass delusions people are following. Yeah. And you go the other way, or you look at what mass biases people are having, sort of thing. Well, even look at um, look at politics, and yep. um, I guess an event deciding an event pre-election deciding the president, really. Yeah, because yep. of I mean, um, it could be created that... as in fear mongering, or it could be a genuine event. Except it's not an event that's going to keep happening over and over and over again because it happened once. Well, it's a perfect example of this. Um, uh, I'm going to get the I don't I don't know exactly the department names, so I'm going to get those wrong. Um, but like the Homeland Affairs or, or whatever you call them um, department uh, in Australia here, because we had an election recently. Um, uh, came out and said, I'm not sure if that's the right word, confirmed something, stated that basically on election day, there was this media piece run about um, uh, like refugee boats arriving mm-hmm. in Australia. And, you know, that's one of the major campaigning oh, yes. of one of the one of the parties is turn back the boats sort of thing. In fact, the guy in charge of that party now is the guy behind trying to pay the Navy to Turn back the boat, sort of thing. I guess um, we know who wrote the article. <laughs> yeah, so that's just come out to say that the former prime minister rang them and pressured them to release that media release on the day of the election. Wow. Like yeah. he personally like pressured them into it. Yeah, and so I don't even know why I said wow. That's I'm not even I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not trying to pick party sides here. No. I'm just trying to make the point that all politicians pretty much are. <laughs> They play to to the, to the biases, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They play to their biases. Politicians, yeah. marketers. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just that individually, we need to be responsible for our own biases. I mean, if you're trying to trying to convince like over fifty percent of a voting population to back you, mm. you know, obviously yeah. you can't win win them over logically on every single issue that people agree on. Like, just, no. So so no. 
this is what they do. They play to these biases. But it's just interesting that that's, yeah, that's exactly what he was using there, right? Recency yeah. bias. He's trying to get people on the day triggered about an event and sway their vote off. Yeah. So it's, it's a perfect example of this. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by the BBIT. If you want to improve your own thinking and problem-solving skills, visit blackboutandthinking.com to sign up now. Okay. All right. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? What we do about it? Um, I could give you this whole spiel that we always do with biases. We need to think logically about every situation that we're in. <laughs> I've got a bit of a process, I think. Oh, you have, a, you have an actual process. Go on. Uh, well, okay. So I, I actually sort of hinted at it at the start when I said about um, performance reviews. If you don't have... So the the key thing is to I'll take performance reviews as the example. Yeah. Um, as I said, if you don't have clear targets, clear goals, you don't have broken down milestones, you don't you don't have frequent reviews. So the answer is all those things. It's don't let things build up to a uh, like a single long term point. That makes sense. That's probably not the right. right so more word, like but... build a trend of things. See what exactly, exactly. Rather than annual performance reviews, have quarterly, and then perhaps you should really be having, you know, monthly or weekly reviews of people. Yeah. Um, or well, and probably um, use use clear clear metrics to try and define how things are going. Um, using metrics at all rather than opinion is obviously going to be very yeah. useful. Um, you know, if you're looking at somebody's, I, I don't know, you're looking at the bug count of a developer or something. Um, probably an unfair thing because if they do more complex things, they might end up more bugs. But it's just as hypothetical. Um, rather than going like, "Oh, sh- that's right, they made a bunch of bugs." You know, you got on your mind that they made a bunch of bugs last month. Yeah. You'd be better to have like a bug count report for the last twelve months and go, "Oh, you know, last month wasn't great, but realistically, they're actually pretty good at this." Yeah. Yeah, and or actually, highly so likely, down. highly right. likely, you're probably not even going by last month. You're going by one bug happened. There was yeah. a really adverse reaction from the Knock customer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now this is the worst developer in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or even worse, like I happened. You know, I was halfway through something and it caused my system to crash, and it was their bug that did it. So I'm yeah. mad about it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's about having all those again with the project example I used about having clear milestones and how you're progressing, um, and using those milestones in the assessment, not just how you felt for the last um, the last period. Obviously, forward-looking targets is good. If you say, well, what what are you going to work on over the next twelve months or the next like quarter, and then we can assess that at the the next yeah. meeting, as opposed to these kind of arbitrary. Oh well. Over the last month, I've been looking at how you've been doing on X. Okay, well, it would have been better if, you know, we decided what X was last time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's, 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 about, it's about putting the structures in place so that you have information that is, you know, accurate, even though it's spread out over time. So you're not making decisions purely on the most recent information that you have. Yeah. So yeah. basically noting down historical um, historical data that sort of tells you how things are going rather than whatever you can remember most recently. Yeah. 
so I kind of went down that route. Um, and then I, I, I was going to say, it, with that in mind, do take the time to look at the data instead of being impulsive about the decisions that you make. Yeah. Um, but then for some reason, do you know I have a phobia of, of sharks? Like, like a real phobia, like I'm, I would not go on a cruise type phobia. Um, oh, but yeah, that is a phobia. I was going to say, is it a phobia <laughs> when they're actually like, like I just killing machines, but but yeah, you're well, right. no, I as in I just yeah. I don't like thinking about them, I don't like watching them, I don't like even oh, now, yeah, okay, yeah. Type thinking about it makes me uncomfortable, yeah. but it it really, but I, I why it came into my head now is about looking at historical trends. Like a lot of people tell me, you know, sharks only kill two people a year, you know, like some sort of a trend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some sort of historical data of, but if I was in water, I kid you not, and a shark was coming to me, and I was supposed to evaluate, am I gonna start swimming for my life, or yeah. am I just gonna hang out because they don't really eat people really all that much? Yeah, cows kill more people, and I'm happy to stand in the field with a cow, so I should be happy to sit in water with a shark, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So I think that there are probably situations where it's not safe to evaluate like you should just act you should probably just act yeah right yep. like this is yeah. probably where the bias was born and it was really useful before it started tricking us it was for situations where your gut is telling you just go go away yeah like yeah it's true, go and yeah. do this now <laughs> so there's probably situations where you should yeah listen to to your biases given to your biases yeah yeah probably you're right survival I, I mean like a lot of our poor decision making comes down to the fact that we're wired for survival right yeah you see a lot of the stuff that comes up and it's it's because yeah it's, it's, it's like, not really um, a matter of life and death like you should take yeah. your time with this one it's like uh i went to this um uh seminar and like uh performing under pressure sort mm-hmm. of thing and it was like for like um the focus was on like athletes and things like that both, both the people who were presenting it one was like a high performance coach for like uh olympians and the other was a, like a phd um right uh professor um sorry uh out of university of new south wales has she had done a lot of research on all this sort of thing um but yeah like, like basically all of it is overcoming the like you're, you're putting yourself into these situations that trigger basically all of your inbuilt fight and flight responses and stuff like yeah. that and essentially all all of the performing under pressure techniques tips skills are all just to counteract that yeah like yeah. you feel Makes under sense. pressure because of the situation you're in but you're not being hunted by a lion you're just trying to you know sprint really well or jump yeah. over an obstacle or something like or, or play your sport really well, or drive yeah. a car really well. What, what are you trying to do? Like, it's uh, a lot of these things are counterproductive. It's interesting because I was saying, you know, in some cases they're not. So, like, you know, if you're trying to go and hit a, a weightlifting PR, like, you do actually want a bunch of adrenaline because adrenaline yes. does, yeah. I mean, there's a reason those guys sniff those sniffing salts, which apparently is like the worst feeling in the world, sniffing those things. But it literally yeah. does that. It, it spikes your yeah, if you watch it quite often you'll see them take a take a whiff of those salts right before they go and lift 
Okay, no, I've like, never even realized that. Yeah, no. yeah, it's like ammonia or something. Um, right. And so it like triggers your brain to like panic basically and just like <laughs> a surge of like adrenaline right before wow. you go and yeah. Okay. But for a lot of other things that require a bit more finesse, it's uh, it's better to keep your heart rate down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and these are the same things. I think it's 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 a lot of it is just as you say, it's it's ingrained, um, but but not useful in in situations where we want to analyze things or make logical long term decisions. You know, we didn't. We're not innately built to make rational investment and. <laughs> No, <laughs> and like project decisions and in large organizations. I think this is so, where the entire field of behavioral economics has been just bursting onto the scene in the past ten years. Um, just basically telling the world we are not rational. People yeah. are not rational when it comes to decision making. Well, that uh, predictably, predictably irrational. irrational? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good title. <laughs> <laughs> That's us. Yeah. All right. Cool. I think that's it. I think we can safely leave it at that. Yep. Do not judge all our podcasts based on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Or do if you liked it, definitely do. Yeah, if you if you liked it, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, don't forget to share it and all those all those great things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll see you guys next time. See you next time.